3: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
4: Folks! Welcome back to the program. You are still listening to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show, where we are now in overtime. That's the second half of the program, where we are online only. We have freed ourselves from the shackles of the FCC censors. We appreciate you staying with us. We got a couple of callers in the queue. Let's go to 715 area code. There's a 715 area code in the queue. Let's bring them on the air. 715 area code what is your name and where are you calling from
3: my name is john i'm calling from uh, the jackson area
4: john from uh, the jackson area good. in mississippi hey john, from jackson jackson area. yeah nice to hear from you john i don't know if you knew this but adam is from mississippi
5: that's right from meridian right. originally
3: and what's funny is i'm not originally from here but uh uh, it's growing on me pretty quick. I like it down here.
4: There you go. There you go. Well, uh, what's on your mind, John?
3: Uh, well, I work for uh, the uh, UAW down here. I work for uh, General Motors, the CCA, and the Jackson PDC. Mm.
4: Yeah. Well, how how are you? Uh, how are you feeling about everything that's going on? And how's folks uh, in your workplace feeling about it? Uh, there's a lot of uh,
3: I'd say we we've been anxiously awaiting every update. I'll say that I, I, I wish that uh, it was a little bit, I, I know that uh, it's more clear now than it ever has been, uh, you know, what's going on during negotiations, what's going on, uh, what we're, uh, what we're actually fighting for. It's more clear now than it's ever been. I know that it's uh, more transparent. We love that uh Sean Fain's been keeping us clued in. but uh, we we are also completely in the dark, just like everybody else, uh, as far as when and what is happening. Like we didn't know until three minutes before that nine o'clock live stream when we all got a text saying, "You know what three plants were going out. And uh, it feels weird to be a part of that uh, movement when you don't know what's coming. You don't know when it's gonna happen. We have no idea if like, we're gonna get a text uh, in the middle of the workday <laughs> coming up uh, where we're all gonna to have to just all of a sudden drop what we're doing and walk out. We have no idea if someone from our representation is gonna get a direct word from uh, up on up on high to, to come to the plant and walk us out. We don't know uh, what how that's gonna work out. Uh, so we're just anxiously awaiting information, is uh, is what I'd say the uh, general feeling is. But we're all real happy about uh, finally being st- finally standing up, finally uh, mm-hmm. asking for what we deserve.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I I could imagine that, and and I absolutely understand, and and you know this is a totally. Like a, a a totally separate thing from, you know, the people who are saying like, this is a you know this maneuver is like a sellout thing or whatever. But I uh, it, and I think that's ridiculous. But what you're saying is, it totally makes sense that it would be you know. I, it would make me a little anxious, uh, not knowing, you know, day to day, okay, am I going to go on strike today? Am I going to go on strike today? Um, and, you know, so I, I certainly understand that and appreciate that. But it's good to hear that, uh, you know, it's good to hear that that folks, even down in Mississippi, people tell us here in Alabama that uh, folks in the South don't want to stand up for themselves. Uh, that They don't want to, you know, they just want to do whatever the bosses tell them. So it's good to hear that folks down in Mississippi are are happy that that you know their leadership standing up for them and that they're uh, being given the chance to uh, stand up for themselves too. Absolutely. You're. Uh, um. How long have you been working for CCA? Uh,
3: I'm incredibly fresh. Uh, I've only got two years uh, at the plant, and uh, I was very lucky. I was extremely lucky. I was one of the, I'm one of the few people that, after 90 days, uh, was able to be hired. Uh, that's not a that's not typical from temp to from temp to full time. That is not typical. I was incredibly lucky. And before me, I was told that before I came in. Uh, there was people that were working there for years and then just got let go. And that was just the case. That was just how it worked on rotation. And then then I was one of the first waves of people that uh, broke that cycle. Um, uh, So I was extremely fortunate.
4: Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's great to hear. And, you know, I was – what you were saying about kind of being kept in the loop It made me think about uh, when I was on the picket line with GM uh, workers in 2019. I didn't work at GM, but, you know, I've been a union member for for longer than than that. And so I I went to be um, I I went on the picket line with them when they went on strike back in 2019. And it it is absolutely, you know, it's very, very different uh, now than it was back then. You know, when I was asking them, you know, so what are the strike issues? Right. They couldn't tell me. Because they didn't know the bargaining committee wasn't telling them. They were just telling them that the company isn't where they need to be. And you know, it's you know it says something about the membership that they were willing to trust their leadership that much and that they were willing to go on strike over that. But you know, I, I think that I don't think that they should have to do that. I think that they should be able to know what they're striking over. So, um, so uh, uh, yeah, that that made me think of that from 2019. It was kind of it was kind of odd hearing that. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. Um, yeah, we couldn't be happier we actually no I can't be happier. Actually knowing what uh my leadership is uh fighting for. Uh hearing him say that uh you know he wants to end tears, uh, you know, at, at working at a CCA is absolutely, uh, absolutely uh not uh on par with manufacturing. When you hear like all these offers that are coming out from the companies, when you hear like they, they want to increase wages 20%, as a CCA worker in the in that tier of pay, and that tier of work, I have absolutely no idea if that 20% is actually going to apply to me, because they're just saying a blanket statement. And in the past, those blanket statements have been tied to also CCA workers will just get a 2% raise, not this 20, or something along those lines. That, that has been the language they use in the actual contract. So what they're saying in the media is only, from what I understand and from my limited experience with reading through uh, the negotiations from 2019, the contract that I'm in under, um, it seems that uh, CCAs and GMCH uh, plants are uh, very much an afterthought to the overall gm business plan so i we always have to take everything they're saying on tv and all those offers we have to take those with a grain of salt yep
4: yep absolutely well uh best of luck to y'all and absolutely cca workers uh deserve more than they're getting I appreciate the call john
3: i uh, appreciate you talking about it thanks yep
4: we got another caller in the queue this one is from a 734 area code let's go ahead and bring them on the air uh 734 area code what is your name and where are you
6: calling from hey how's it going man my name is darnell i'm calling from michigan
4: darnell from michigan i think i saw your name in the chat you are one of them that's on strike right
6: now right yeah yes sir
4: and you sent a one dollar super chat. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, yeah, brother, you're on strike right now over in Michigan. Um, What's uh uh what? Tell us about it.
6: Man, it's kind of uh, I'm a nerve wracking because I'm fresh. Only been working for it for a couple months. Mm, and, um, wow, really? That yeah that that day that we we knew we was gonna be on strike was. I never experienced nothing like that in my life, man. The the whole building the atmosphere was crazy. Like they let us go home early, hour early. We put them home at twelve, but they made us go home at eleven to avoid the news. There was a lot of helicopters above us. It was it was pretty it was pretty crazy, man.
4: That's awesome. That's great.
5: I'm I'm curious, like talking- what I'm I'm curious about the emotions that you know. That y'all were experiencing at that time, and like what you were witnessing from your coworkers.
6: Man, I, I can say me personally, man, you know, like my heart was pounding because I got a a text like the last guy said I got a text like at nine letting us know that we was gonna be one of the plants. So a lot of people around me while, while we on the line because I put on rear doors. I work in the trim department, so I put on the rear doors and um, on the right side. And um, the people around me they haven't received a text message yet, so. They stopped the line, and a lot of my team leading supervisors was just running around. Um, I was showing a lot of people text messages. They still wouldn't believe in me until Sean Fain actually went live him that night and said our building, our location. And he only actually said the department I work in, which is final and paint, body and stamping. They they was not on strike, but they just got laid off uh, yesterday. Because we are not allowed to work.
4: Gotcha. Yeah that that must have been <laughs> that must have been fun seeing the supervisors run around.
6: Yeah it's, it was, it was it was pretty man it was like I said I was nervous and exciting at the same time because I know we're making history and I don't know what's next like I got a four year old son I work actually working two jobs now because I'm a temporary worker so I'm working mm. at four and working somewhere else just to survive. And take care of me and my kids and my family. So
4: Yeah, well now hold on, Darnell. I people tell me that UAW members have it good and that they're basically wealthy, like in the top one percent. How is it that you're working two jobs?
6: Man, I can I can tell those people this. <laughs> During the morning I'm working at a warehouse driving a high low. I leave straight from that job, go to my four plant, and I put on weird doors. Mm. So I'm 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 barely getting sleep.
5: mm. And
6: it's it, it's been it's been very tough.
5: It's just unfortunate because there, are, uh, I know you're not the only one. You're not the only one, yes. and I'm sure there are many of your brothers and sisters out there, you know, with a similar story and a similar experience. And um, we know these companies can afford to do better by y'all, the folks who are producing the profits. So I uh, just want to send you, you know, all the love and solidarity I can from Alabama. Um, you know. Michigan may seem far away, but we, we got your back however we can and, you know, appreciate what you're doing. Because like you said, you are making history and standing up for, you know, not just the, the members of the UAW, but I would argue all of America, you know, all of American working class folks in this country.
6: Yep. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I actually just left the union hall, by the way, 30 minutes ago. And I seen my sister and brothers out there. It was It was pretty crazy.
4: Yeah, uh, I saw a couple of pictures of some folks lining up to get their strike checks already.
6: Yeah, the uh well no, um we won't receive a tri- uh, strike pay until eight days from now. But I know we are, like I had ten, I had to go to Union Hall today to uh register to receive our strike pay. Like mm. so when okay. that day comes, you can either get direct deposit or it can come in the mail. But nobody won't be receiving no money until eight days from when gotcha. you strike.
4: Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, Darnell, was there anything else that you wanted to say or or talk about?
6: Uh, No, man, that's it. I appreciate you guys so much today.
4: Hey, brother, thanks. Keep it up and feel free to call back in next week.
5: Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, it's it's tough. There are so many workers out there who are in that situation who are working Mm -hmm. multiple jobs to get by. You know, they're trying to take care of their family. and and that's something that we ought to all be able to agree on right that folks want to be able to take care of their family have a decent living um, be able to go to the doctor when they need to go to a doctor be able to get medication when they need medication Um, you know it's it's not a lot to ask um, and it's not a lot to ask that if you're gonna have temporary workers that they be temporary Mm. 90 days yeah that's seems like a reasonable temporary period Um, but you know 10 years (laughs) five years three years you know that's just totally unreasonable and uh, you know something we we did this week that was really interesting was we spoke to labor leaders from other countries Um, we spoke to labor leaders from zambia and indonesia and we'll be you know using some of that footage at some point later down the road but something that really stood out to me in our conversation was how many of these same issues workers are fighting everywhere, right? It's not just the UAW members who are fighting against the, the use of temporary contracts. Mm. It's not just the UAW who's fighting to return the retirement pension um, and fighting for their retirees, all right? These are worker issues that are spanning the country and spanning the globe. Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, you know it's it's really it's an important fight it's an inspiring fight uh, and we have their back and um, you know I'm really just wishing them all the best and uh, I think you laid it out earlier there's no question that the companies can afford this um, it's not a question of whether or not you know they deserve it uh, they cre- the workers created the profits mm. so it, it doesn't matter you know what you think in terms of who deserves what um without those workers there would be no profits there wouldn't have been a quarter trillion dollars in profits over the past decade right yep. that only happens because of labor so it's time that labor get it shared
4: absolutely <laughs> um I do want to just mention. I saw a chat earlier asking if you were wearing a People's Party shirt, and uh, no, you yeah, Adam is not wearing a People's Party shirt. He is wearing a shirt of Alabama Arise, which is a Alabama-based nonprofit um, think tank slash research and advocacy coalition. coalition. Um, yeah.
5: yeah, absolutely, doing good work. Uh, but the People's Party—that's interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not really that interesting
4: okay or well it's interesting because they're so weird um so gotcha <laughs> uh Luis leon is gonna be our next guest is he in the zoom
5: uh you know what let me check uh i do not see him in the zoom okay i do not see him in the zoom yet so we'll we'll see
4: that is fine. He has been he has been really all over. Very busy. It. Very, very busy. Uh,
5: and doing some great work. So, yeah, if you haven't um, checked out some of his reporting lately, definitely do that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm signed up for what they call the Troublemakers Dispatch mm. that Labor Notes sends out to your inbox every week. And, um, yeah, so got the email yesterday, I guess it was, uh, with all of their Big Three coverage some really good stuff uh you had the piece from Luis. you had um uh, another piece that they put out about how you can support the uaw Mm. um obviously getting to your nearest picket line is one of the ways you can support uh but there's only three plants on strike right now so you know you know it, it doesn't uh necessarily apply to everyone in the country right now um In that article, there was actually a a phone number that was listed where you can leave a message for the big three CEOs. So I did leave my sternly worded uh, message for the executives. Hope they get it. I would encourage people to do the same.
4: Awesome. Well, we're, while we're waiting for Luis, we did get another caller. Uh, let's go ahead and bring them on the air. Uh, this caller is from a 313 area code. Uh, 313 area code. What is, um, what's your name and where are you calling from?
1: I'm James. I'm calling from Wayne, man.
4: James from Wayne. Uh, is that Michigan. Yeah, Wayne,
1: Michigan. It yeah, well, I I work out of the um the, the plant, the the um Michigan, the plant on Michigan now, the one that's on strike right now.
4: Another UAW member on strike. Uh it's good to hear from you, brother. Appreciate you calling in and appreciate you going on strike for for yourself and and you know, your uh, fellow workers and and like Adam said earlier and for, you know, I mean, in our opinion, the American working class.
1: Right. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I I ain't call up to um take up too much of you guys' time, man. I I just want to encourage all the union members. So you know, stand strong. We're going to get through this, man. And um, you know, just don't worry, man. Just keep, we 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 got to stick together right now. Um, it's not it's no more to be said. That's that's it. That's all, man. Uh, we got to take back what's ours, man. So I just want to encourage everybody. Don't get discouraged. And stay strong during these hard times, man. Absolutely. Um, all right. Thanks for having me up, man. Uh, thank you. You guys have a good rest of your day.
4: Hey, man, you too. Thanks. Appreciate you, brother. Feel free yeah. to call back in anytime.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, stay strong and uh, really appreciate that message. Absolutely. You know, solidarity is key. Y'all look out for one another, have each other's back. Um, I think that's going to be really critical for the days ahead. Um you know, like you said, stay strong and stay together. That's important.
4: Uh, and just let me know whenever Luis jumps in the Zoom, and uh, we've got we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. Though um, we've been talking about yellow for the last few months. You know, the Teamsters have been in the news, uh, particularly with their fight with UPS, where they won a, a really big contract, um, a historic number of UPS Teamster members voted. Uh, voted at all, and then also voted in favor of the contract. So a lot of support for that contract, a lot of wins in that contract. But another big uh, story with the Teamsters was their fight with Yellow, which is a less-than-truckload trucking company. That went bankrupt recently uh, due to the mismanagement of the executives, the executives who had made financial decisions without the input of the workers, financial decisions that led to the ruination of the company, financial decisions like uh, acquiring competitors when they didn't need to be taking on loans to do that. And then after they acquired the competitors, they did not integrate their operations into Yellow's uh, into Yellow's profile. So they had multiple companies within their portfolio who continued to compete against one another, trying to undercut each other instead of working together. And uh, also one of the financial decisions that you had, uh, uh, that the uh, yellow made that led to the ruination of the company was keeping their prices much lower than industry standard. That's one of the reasons why they were not able to consistently turn a profit is because their prices were so low. Uh, despite all of their debt, uh, despite the costs uh, that are associated with the running of the company, uh, Their their prices were just ridiculously low. So they went bankrupt due to mismanagement and management has been trying to blame it on the workers, blame it on the Teamsters. It's the Teamsters fault. It's the greedy Teamsters fault that we are, uh, that we went bankrupt despite the fact that over the last 10 years, Teamsters members gave $5 billion in givebacks to this company in concessions, $5 billion dollars between 20,000 employees. That means over the last 10 years, these workers gave each a quarter million dollars to this company to keep it running, right? And that's the thing that is so frustrating about all of these narratives about the Teamsters bankrupting Yellow or the UAW bank, uh, bankrupting the big three automakers. Whenever there is actually, whenever there is genuinely a crisis at the company, workers are there to provide for it. Workers make sacrifices to keep their employers afloat. Every day, every year, every time there's a crisis, workers sacrifice. And the people at the top don't. And that's what happened here. The Teamsters sacrificed. Uh, they took uh, they took huge concessions in their contracts to try to save the company. And uh, the company also got loans uh, to try to help pay for their debt. I don't know exactly how that works. They got a huge, almost a billion dollar loan from the U S government that because, uh, the Trump administration was the one that gave them this loan. The U S government, came last in line in the the list of creditors. So the U.S. government said, oh, no, if something were to happen, you don't have to pay us back first. You can pay back these uh, goons on Wall Street first that you've also taken almost a billion-dollar loan from. But you do have to pay us back before you pay the workers. And so that's what happened. They got all sorts of loans. They got all sorts of people trying to help them out, and they still couldn't make it work. And new... Information just came out last week from Bloomberg. Yellow paid bonuses totaling almost $5 million to eight current and two former executives in the weeks before the company went bankrupt with plans to liquidate, according to corporate disclosures in Delaware Bankruptcy Court. Of the bonuses dispersed, nearly $2 million paid on July the 14th were approved by Yellow's board in June when the company was in trouble, but before it was considering filing for bankruptcy. And uh, so while all this is happening, while they're saying the Teamsters is greedy, all of this coming out in the media, they're making their media rounds, trying to convince the public that the Teamsters, that the people who actually create what value is in this company... They're trying to convince people that these are greedy. These are the people that are making us bankrupt. They are approving for themselves millions of dollars in bonuses, in bonuses for bankrupting the company. I mean, that is the backwards logic of capital, right? Oh, the people who make maybe $100,000 a year, but who work, you know, days on end, driving all across the country, they're greedy. But me approving a million-dollar bonus for myself for bankrupting the company, that's just business. That's natural. The July payments include a $1 million retention bonus to Yellow Chief Restructuring Officer Matthew DeHaney, $1.08 million to Chief Operating Officer Daryl Harris, and 625000 to Chief Executive Officer Darren Hawkins. Sean O'Brien, president of the Teamsters, said Yellow approved millions in executive bonuses in June at the same exact time they were voluntarily choosing not to pay millions in worker benefits to central states. That was one of the issues that uh, leading up to the bankruptcy is that Yellow was saying, no, we're not going to pay for your health care and pensions like we promised to, like we agreed to in the contract, like uh, (laughs) we're just not going to pay it at the same time that they're approving these million dollar bonuses. Absolutely crazy. So, you know, there's another example of corporate greed for you. You just cannot sate the appetite of these people. So there you go. Adam, I heard you typing away. Were you talking to Luis in the Zoom chat?
5: That's right, yes. Very
4: cool, very cool. Well, really excited about... Really excited about this interview. Like we said, Luis has been all over all of this stuff about the UAW. He has written in The American Prospect. Got a lot of respect for them. Talking about U.S. auto workers, uh, the contract talks, and Stellantis threatening to move south to the non-union south. He wrote in the uh, uh, for In These Times about the clean energy auto economy. Uh, He wrote for Labor Notes as the strike was happening, as the strike happened. Lots of stuff. And, uh, you know, despite all of that, Luis tells me that he has been able to consistently get between eight to ten hours of sleep. Isn't that right, Luis?
0: yes that's absolutely right that's um that's the reason for all the typos on my uh tweets Uh, i'm i'm getting uh as you can see here's this bed i i slept so long (laughs) i just woke up (laughs) Uh, thanks for inviting me jacob
4: yeah thank you for talking to us and obviously that was a joke luis has been on the picket lines at all hours of the nights and we really appreciate him uh, taking the time to talk to us um and so before, you know, I want to go into some of this background reporting um, because it's really important to what is happening right now. But before we before we kind of back up, let's talk about what's happening right now. You've been on picket lines, uh, multiple picket lines. You've been talking to probably at this point dozens of striking workers and workers at plants presumably that have not been striking. What is the general feeling? We've actually already had a couple of callers that had been striking and then one caller that, uh, is at a non struck facility and everybody so far excited to strike. Uh, the fellow who's not in a struck facility right now said that he's anxious about not knowing when he's going to strike, but really excited generally about kind of the way things are going appreciative of being, you know, stood up for, uh, of being kept in the loop, that kind of stuff. How does the three callers that we've had so far this morning, how does that map onto what you're
0: seeing? Yeah, no, people are fired up, you know, they're standing up to corporate greed, and the labor movement is standing with them. So it's really exciting. Um, What I'm hearing is that, you know, in the plants that people haven't struck yet, they're taking some creative tactics into uh, into consideration, including, um, you know, not you not working voluntary overtime, uh, slowing down production in that way. Um, And this is part of the stand-up strategy, right? It unleashes the rank and file to take initiative. It makes negotiations unpredictable. As you know, as a a union brother, that, you know, when you go into bargaining, some of these things are really boring, you know, it's uh, a lot. And sometimes people think that all the action happens at the bargaining table. What we're seeing right now is that the action actually happens at these picket lines. It happens at the shop floor level. Right. So we saw already the impact that the stand up strike has had that the companies have uh, laid off workers as a counterattack against the union to dampen the morale that you're seeing um, all over the country. People are excited. Uh, even President Obama, uh, you know, the, the former deporter in chief, you know, maybe Biden, depending on how he stands, you know, he'll become the uh, union buster in chief let's see if he does what's right and stands for the workers so far he's saying some good things but you know the the evidence will be in how he responds to these ev um subsidies that he's giving these corporations so so yeah uh so kind of looping back to your point though uh because i am sleep deprived um i think it's it's an amazing thing that we're seeing we're seeing class-wide demands in the front pages of newspapers all over the country. Even though we're seeing some crank talk about second guessing this strategy, the corporations are not second guessing it. They're responding and they're responding with a counterattack against the workers. And we need to stand with workers and lift up the demands that they're making because as Sean Fain has said, they're not only fighting for auto workers, they're fighting for the whole working class.
4: Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the uh, of the strategy, you know, you said that there's been some cranks that have been second guessing it. And, you know, we we've got a couple of clips from some uh, from some, you know, brilliant minds on YouTube um, who are, you know, uh, you know, really, I mean, the UAW should be looking on, you know, just searching on YouTube for their next strategist because these are the brilliant minds. Right. Um, but uh, but how are workers responding generally to the strategy, you think?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a good question, right? Because here's here's the thing. You, the strategy is intended to throw off the companies, right? Make it unpredictable for them. They don't know where uh, what plan is going to be struck. The industry mouthpiece, automotive news, thank you for your labor. Um, they actually misled the companies into thinking uh, the transmission plants were going to be struck, and the the companies started stockpiling there. So they were totally unprepared, (laughs) you know, for what the strategy was. But in that level, when you introduce confusion as part of your strategy, in this case, the boss always seeks to divide us and confuse us. What the union has done is it has turned that tactic against the boss. And now the bosses are the ones that are confused and scrambling, trying to figure out what's happening next. In these times, put out a great story confirming that Stellantis had no idea what plants were going to be struck. Um, So, but on the flip side, workers can also be confused. There can be FOMO. So, in the history of the UAW, there's no shortage of militancy. And during the 2019 GM strike, workers were out there on the picket line, they didn't know why the hell they were out there. It's not like now, na- like now where they have members' demands that are out there and people can talk to you. We're fighting for pensions, we're fighting to eliminate two tiers, we're fighting for the whole working class, we're fighting for a shorter work week. There are clear demands that the membership is pushing. That was not the case in 2019. And your your listeners can go back to labor notes and read some of that coverage where it shows uh you know that that confusion um and uh workers feeling like there was nothing else that that they can, that they could do. And the companies also use the corruption scandal against the union and that just demoralized everyone. Right. So now what we're seeing is that because there's a tradition of striking, there's FOMO. People may want to, we want to do something, we're going to go out. So I was keeping my My ear to the ground to see if there were going to be, I don't know, wildcats. If I mean not wildcats, because technically they're, you know, the they're working on their expired agreements. But, but I wanted to see if there was going to be something uh, militant, you know, kind of springing from the rank and file. The union has indicated that you know they're not putting any shackles on the membership. The membership is is been unleashed, as I said, and that's part of the strategy. So these CEOs better listen and make a deal that meets these members demands because who knows what's next they're talking about eating the rich i'd be really scared if i was at ford (laughs) at Stellantis, at gm the pitchforks are coming out
4: (laughs) absolutely and that's that's something else that's worth um explaining working under an expired contract does that mean that they have that they now have no protections they can be fired at will and they can get demotions and pay cuts and take this all sorts of they're just totally at the whim of the boss
0: i'm not a lawyer so i don't want to like say too much but i'm going to give your listeners a scoop right so if you're working under an expired agreement the status quo still remains right so for instance let's say that the company These uh, voluntary uh, uh, workers continue refusing voluntary overtime, right? And then they say, "You know what? We're going to shift you over to mandatory overtime, so you can't refuse it." Uh, Well, that would be a violation of the contract because they can't change, you know, conditions because they're working under an expired contract, right? So that will be something to look out for. And labor notes is going to be trying to follow that story to see if uh, if the union files charges um, if the company attempts to do that. Right. So uh, so they can't change. For instance, like ice machines, <laughs> they can't do any of those things. So workers have uh, a lot of power. Um, right. But the UAW has a Web page. So I would encourage people to go to that the stand up website and look at, uh, and Benjamin Dictor, who's on the bargaining team, put out a video. So if you guys can cut into that video at some point, you know, and show it, that would be the best way to educate members on it. But I don't want to, um, say more than, than what I just said about the status quo. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Just cost is still there. Right. That That's right. And, and what, what Dictor said in that video was that, you know, the, uh, The only thing different about uh, adjudicating discipline is that they don't have the binding arbitration at this point, but they can still take it, like you said, unfair labor practices to the NLRB. They can strike over disciplinary issues at this point because now there's no no strike clause. But like you said, status quo prevails and um, you're not an at-will employee still. They have to bargain over changes. So um, with that out of the way, let, let... let, let's actually kind of back up and do some of the uh, uh, do some of the background filling in for folks, um, because you have done an excellent job uh, with that. For uh, in particular, I'm thinking of your pieces for "In These Times" and uh, "The American Prospect." So, let's start. Uh, with the article that you wrote first uh, for in these times, uh, will the clean energy auto economy be built on factory floors riddled with toxic chemicals and safety hazards, hazards. Talk to us about, you know, the, what you were looking at in that article.
0: Yeah. Let me, let me sneak in a sentence that was cut from something I wrote that I think your, your readers may, uh, your listeners may appreciate. So in the United States, corporations are legally purported to be people. In Europe, they are gods. So the conglomerate Stellantis, a modern day version of the Roman god Saturn, as you mentioned earlier, these corporations have an unsatiable appetite. This is what we're seeing, right? They just wanna cannibalize um, the jobs of the American worker by shutting down plants, by making sure that these EV jobs are terrible jobs that don't provide um, the benefits and wages that generations of of millions of, of American workers have fought for, so right now we we're seeing that you know these corporations are on a, mon- a monopoly-seeking rampage, rampage, and um, and they have only grown. So GM, right, uh, has created a legal fiction um, by create by partnering with these joint creating these joint ventures with um, other uh, folks that have experience in the EV sector. And the reason why they've done that is because. They they don't want to fold those workers into the national uh, GM agreement, right? They want to keep them separate. They want to create like they want to maintain tiers, right? Like this is another way of maintaining tiers and dividing the working class um so what you see in the in altium in lordstown a plant that's a, a a stone's throw away from where the lordstown assembly plant used to be who for your listeners this happened under the trump administration where he made a lot of promises when he campaigned in ohio telling people we're going to bring you know uh we're going to keep jobs we're going to do so he's he's going on the record um you know, talking about what he's gonna do to save auto jobs, you know, and it's all bullshit. Um, it's a lie. Like the company that he actually uh, supported to create jobs has just gone bankrupt. They had a partnership with Foxconn. Um, and so people in the Rust Belt have, have experienced this since the 1970s, you know, the the Ohio has hemorrhage uh thousands of jobs. And this new plant was a shining example of the revitalization of the of the auto sector. And the UAW supports the transition to clean energy, but they just want to make sure that those jobs are good jobs, that they're safe jobs. So what I wrote about in my in these times piece was, I would hope <laughs> I was aiming for the modern day jungle, uh, of, for you know, for the twenty first century. Like people think of a factory floor and they think of, of of it being loud, of it being dirty. I snuck into the 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 lobby of Otm Cells and it feels like a corporate office. But behind that corporate lobby, you know, workers talk about explosions. They talk about this chemical called electrolyte that basically. If it falls on your forearm, it burrows through your skin and tries to reach that calcium in your bones. Really scary stuff. And, you know, people had talked about some of the things that were happening at this plant, especially the local news channel had done a really good job doing what Labor Notes does best, which is talking to workers directly and hearing from their working conditions, right? Because it's not only about you know, the wages, wages matter, but it's about the control that we have over our conditions of work. And in this plant, workers didn't even have like respirators, right? They had like these little cloth masks. The fire department chief was scared, you know, to venture into the facility when calls came in because they didn't know like what chemicals were there. Like they didn't actually list the chemicals initially, which they're required to by OSHA. Um, But we know that OSHA is toothless. The only Guarantee for workers' safety is each it the only guarantee that workers have for their safety is each other. We enforce our safety by becoming shop floor militants. And that's what the workers at OTM cells did, right? So they they banded together when they didn't have showers, which were mandated by OSHA uh, because of the chemicals they were the, the chemicals they were dealing with, right? And they they took action, and the company eventually uh, installed uh, showers. In other instances, you know, workers talked about like the way that this plan operates is like they, I describe them as like these vestibules that workers have to sometimes go in, and remove like a if there's a jam, they have to go in and remove it. And in some instances, the managers have forgotten that the workers are inside and have tried to actually lock these machines. So really horrific working conditions. Um, and you know, the article was like so long, and I, I had hoped that more people had would have picked up on it because it's it's a real, it gives you a, a real good sense of like what the EV transition could potentially be unless unions and the whole labor movement rallies together and demands more from the Biden administration that our taxpayer dollars are actually going to corporations that are going to build these jobs, but these jobs must be good jobs and the safety standards need to be in place, right? So that's like a brief summary. And because my brain is fried, I started talking about Stellantis, which is not the company that is the joint partner at OTM Cells, That's that's General Motors. Uh, Stellantis is the is the company that shuttered the Velvodir plant, right. and that's the American prospect story. So, sorry for my wires getting crossed, but we are live. You're getting the real deal.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no worries at all. And so, wh- one of the things that, you know, about these battery makers, you know, you mentioned the, the low pay, unsafe working conditions, you know, really bad stuff. Um, there is some attempt to fold them into the current master agreement that the UAW has with the big three, with the, you know, in, in this case, in the case of the Ultium, it would be the master agreement that the UAW has with uh, GM. <clears throat> and some senators, some US senators have come out in support of this. What is the status on that? And and can that happen? I know that there's some kind of like legal questions about that.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point, uh, Jacob. Thanks for bringing that up. So the union has been very careful to not say you know you must to demand you must fold them into the uh into the into the master agreement i don't know if it, in terms of bargaining language i don't know if it fall like it doesn't fall under like a permissible subject of bargaining right like it, it's a it's a separate company like that's what i mean about it being a legal fiction right so it's important for people to understand that there's been some misreporting out there unfortunately even in the american prospect um you know uh, about this question. So politicians can say fold them in the union can say mirror the standards of uh you know of our gm contract um but but yeah but that's a key point so the person that has leverage here is is joe biden like that's that's the reality right the the truth of the matter is that biden is giving these corporations oodles of cash and he and his and in the U.S. Congress are going to determine whether um, they're creating a factory floor that's riddled with hazardous conditions, and workers are getting locked in machines, and uh, chemicals are bearing through their skin and destroying their bones, or are they going to create jobs that um, provide a middle class standard of living for the working class of this country? That's the question. So. For the folks that are tuning in, (laughs) you know, the the union is aware that the EV transition um, uh, is going to pose some challenges uh, because from what we've known so far, and there's some different, there are various reports out there, right, that it's going to require fewer workers. So here's where, what is actually part of the bargaining is around plant closures so there's factory 0 here in michigan for instance that gm has a um an electric uh plant here an electric vehicle plant so let's say uh gm wanted i don't know for whatever reason this is a hypothetical um like well let me let me not give hypotheticals because that's not that's not that's not a good way to pose the the, the question here but the point is that in the event that there are plant closures as part of the EV transition, or they have to reduce the headcount. The union wants some safeguards, right, to make sure that these that there are jobs. And this is the thing. There's going to be a lot of investments, so there are going to be a lot of jobs produced. The question is, what kind of jobs, right? So so it's a tricky question because the, the, the union is bargaining over job security, right, because there are some unionized workers already in these plants, uh, including Spring Hill, for instance, in Tennessee. Um, so, so yeah, so that's that's my muddled way of of describing that. Hope it's clear to your listeners.
4: No, yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I appreciate that. And and uh, so, <clears throat> and I think this is the the last one that I wanted to talk about. And and then, you know, feel free <clears throat> if there's something else that you feel like is important, then feel free to feel free to jump in with it a, a, after this. But uh, you know, for the American Prospect, you worked you you talked about some of Stellantis's threats and um. You know, plant closures and relocation to, um, you know, to to Mexico is is obviously a threat that we've seen. You know, Jim Cramer say that the the big three automakers should really uh, uh, should really go hard on, but moving to the non union South without the new plants being. Uh, you know, automatically folded into the union is a big, uh, you know, is a big issue and really would undermine uh, the UAW members at other plants across the country. What, you know, what's going on in this piece?
0: Yeah, no. Um, so it's Stellantis, um, they, they called it, they used the euphemism for closing down the plant. They said that they indefinitely idled the Velveteer plant. So in my American prospect piece, I tried to kind of give a a feel for like, how did we get here? What are the structural forces that are creating these plant closures? So sometimes, unfortunately, people people buy into right wing like propaganda and the company talk about Mexican workers versus American workers. The reality is that these corporations are looking for safe havens of exploitation anywhere they can find them. So if they can exploit, they can't, if they can maximally exploit the American worker, they're gonna try to go to Mexico. If they can go to Mexico, they'll go somewhere else. So the idea is for workers to band together across borders to make sure there's no safe haven for exploitation for these corporations, right? So that's the, the upshot of the piece is we need international solidarity to take on these global corporations. So just as they strategize across borders, we must strategize across borders to resist their efforts, to drive down standards. Um, So so to put that in context, I talked a little bit about NAFTA and what happened um, during, during the implementation of NAFTA. So when NAFTA was negotiated, there were were some concerns that it would create, um, that it would drive down standards, right? So they wanted to put in place some guarantees around, environmental guarantees, standards, wage standards, um, so that the wage differential wasn't like as high. Uh, Labor Notes published a book in 1995 that showed that you know, a U.S. auto worker was was earning about eight sixty eight at that point. Uh, a Mexican auto worker was earning like a dollar, right? So, so, so these companies know that they have like an advantage, obviously, in in relocating um, across uh, across the border. But it's also not ac- just across the border; it's also the south, right? So these these companies, the transplants have also been growing their footprint in the in the U.S. South, right? And they have, they pose an existential threat to the UAW as well, because you cannot, what Stellantis in particular has tried to do is, and they did this in 2015, if, if you look at, there's this book called, um, by by this uh, Wayne State professor, uh, uh, Marek uh, Masters, uh, he's a he's a business guy, but he does like a, a good comparison, which is useful. We have to speak uh, facts you know, when we talk about this stuff. So you could see like how much the drove down like their cost to the to the non-union like sector, right? So what you're seeing right now is the opposite of that. So let's say the UAW gets a very lucrative historic agreement. If I were a worker working at Mercedes Benz in Alabama, I would say, "Hey, I've been working at this plant. When is the UAW going to help us organize our union?" You know, um, in Tennessee, I would be thinking the same thing if I were a Southern auto worker in North Carolina. So, so there's a potential here to beat uh, back um, these. Uh, bastions of exploitation within the United States. And then there is Mexico as well. So one thing that my piece tries to also highlight is that the Mexican workers are actually really highly skilled, right? So sometimes you hear a lot of bullshit, right-wing racist shit, fascist talking shit about the Mexican worker, right? The Mexican worker is just as skilled as the American worker. They just have poorer wages and worse working conditions. So the, the the right thing to do as a labor movement is for us to fight to lift the floor for everybody.
4: Absolutely. And you have reported separately, and this is another piece. I mean, it's really just I don't know when you're finding the time to sleep at all. I don't know if you are, but you reported on on some Mexican workers in Mexico uh Standing with in solidarity with the UAW, saying that we are not going to be working mandatory overtime either. Um, and particularly uh Israel Cervantes, I believe she is with the new uh, independent union at a GM plant in Salau. Um, and that kind of solidarity, you know, it's 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 easier, and somehow we still we still haven't been able to do it in 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 large part, but it's easier you know, for an American auto worker to kind of say or believe that they're in solidarity or, or that, that, you know, the Mexican auto workers deserve better. And, and if they went on strike, it would, you know, wouldn't be too difficult for us to support them, you know, presumably, or it just doesn't seem like it should be. But I could see how it would be really easy for a Mexican auto worker to look at the U.S. auto workers and buy into that kind of right-wing framing that the American media want other American workers to buy into, and say, "Look at how much more money the U.S. auto workers make than I do here in Mexico, and they're striking for even more. Why should I support them?" Uh, but she's she's not doing that. And several and and unions in Mexico, several or, or uh, that union in particular in Mexico at GM is supporting the UAW. Talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, so Isaiah Cervantes um, was a worker who was fired um, after he supported GM workers when they went on strike in 2019. He was also fired because he like led a campaign against the company union uh, that controlled that contract. the the principal officer of Cynthia, the independent union that eventually won an election there and you know they were able to bargain a big wage boost uh, for the workers. Uh, last year. Her name is Alejandra uh, Morales. Uh, She's the principal officer of Cynthia. So they've put out statements in the past in support of uh, U.S. auto workers. And Israel has um, been part of this worker center called Casa Obrera that has been um, trying to help other workers in the auto sector in a really repressive conservative state of Guanajuato um, organize. And So that he's going to be actually in Michigan uh, on the 20th of September, and he's going to join workers, stand with them on the picket line in solidarity. Um, One thing that I also like to mention about the efforts of Mexican workers, especially in the context of Velveteer. So there's another campaign that Labor Notes wrote about by workers at an auto parts plant called VU Manufacturing. The owners of that plant are actually based here in Troy, Michigan, not too far from where I'm staying. So the workers there, mainly women, led a historic campaign uh, to form a genuine union. When they were trying to bargain with the company, the company stonewalled, and ultimately they closed down the plant. They just completely closed down the plant. They blacklisted all the workers. Most of them now can't even find work in the in the sector that they've known their whole lives. They've all worked in these uh, border uh, factories. And right now there's a real opportunity for the workers at Belvedere whose plant was shuttered and the jobs you know, moved over to Toluca, Mexico, for those workers to come together in a really practical way and say to the world that an injury to one is an injury to all. And it's not just a mere slogan. Here's the evidence. Not only did Stellantis shuttered this plant in Belvedere, but this other uh, auto parts uh, manufacturer did the same in Mexico. So here it tells you that it doesn't just go in. Uh, south of the border. It can also go, it can also flow north. So here's why I keep emphasizing this point about international solidarity and how crucial it will be for the UAW going forward to take the call of upholding um, that kind of political vision of a unified working class. It's not because it sounds nice, it's existential and we need it. And we know that like, Chomsky likes to say, I love this quote, there's a one-sided class war. The Chamber of Commerce, the Republican Party, all these people are coordinating with one another to drive their agenda. The working class needs to do the same. We need to coordinate across borders so that the workers at VU, when they form a genuine union that holds the promise of lifting standards, the company doesn't say in violation of the new trade pact, the USMCA uh oh we're just going to move we're going to close it down here's another area where the Biden administration is failing they need to make sure that that company doesn't get away with that they need to make an example of that company so that workers see that there's that th- this administration is standing with the working class so workers auto workers are not only standing up in the US they're standing up in Mexico is Biden going to stand with them
4: That's the question, absolutely, and uh, it was it was interesting. Got a little emotional there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean that's, and you're right to be, and and because this is, you know, I mean this is a huge deal, and and it is very frustrating, you know, when I hear people falling for some of this, uh, you know some of the the class war talking points from you know uh from the other side of the class war and uh, and it's very frustrating um and it uh i enjoyed seeing sean fain kind of hit back it at, at biden's you know, weekly supportive comments. You know, he said, you know, I think the the big three should do better, but he didn't. He wasn't specific. He didn't make a commitment to, you know, come on the picket line or anything like that. And Sean Fain said, you know, I think that Joe Biden is scared. And I, you know, I think that I think that that's probably correct. So uh, we'll see what happens and and we'll keep folks updated. And obviously, uh, Luis will as well. Uh, so make sure that you're following him on Twitter, El uh, Felice Leon. Uh, follow his work in Labor Notes, in These Times, uh, uh, the American Prospect, the Real News Network. Um, lots of uh, he's in lots of places. As are other journalists covering this uh, covering this issue. Uh, Luis, is there anything else that you think um, you wanted to make sure that that we spoke about before we let you go?
0: No, I wanted to make a pitch to all the southern southern workers out there to support the Valley Labor Report. I really appreciate the work that you folks are doing. Labor Notes, you know, supports you guys, and um, thank you for inviting me on. And carry on with the amazing work that you are all doing.
4: Appreciate it, brother. Thanks. It really means a lot. Um, we, uh, yeah. So, like I said, Luis Leon. Staff writer at Labor Notes. Make sure that you're make sure that you're subscribed to Labor Notes. If you're not, we are obviously uh, Labor Notes, uh, and we're not just subscribers because Labor Notes is a sponsor of the program. Uh, we have been subscribers for I think years now. I, I don't know how. Yeah, long. I probably I don't know, you've been probably a decade. Uh,
5: probably, yeah. It's probably been yeah. ten years now. Uh, I've learned a lot from them, and I always recommend their trainings that they provide. Yep. Uh, yeah I can't recommend their their coverage enough Uh, really appreciate what they're doing for the movement
4: 844 tvlr is the number, eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven, 8857 and we have a caller on the line who has been waiting patiently while we finished our interview with Luis. I appreciate it. That caller is from a 502 area code. Let's go ahead and bring the 502 area code on the air. 502 area code, what is your name and where are you calling from?
2: Uh, my name is Stan. I'm calling from Kentucky.
4: Stan from Kentucky, what's
2: on your mind? Hey, I think that um, what's not being addressed here is, and, and we're not just talking about pay when it comes to the UAW and, and our workers and our brothers and sisters there. We're talking about the amount of injuries that are, are taking place in, in the work environment of Ford. We're talking about people who have numerous, numerous uh, surgeries for shoulder, carpal tunnel, knee replacements, hip replacements, it's a, it's a grueling job. And I I hear the media, and, and the media is making it seem like we're so greedy. I wish one of those, like, fake-wearing wig media personnel comes and works even a day, even a week there, and tell me how they're going to feel and how their body's going to feel. They don't put anything into consideration about what we're asking, and what we're asking for is fair. So Absolutely. it upsets me that... I mean, this is not being discussed. The amount of injuries, if if you go out and forward put out a report about all the surgeries that have been taking place, all the knee replacements, the hip replacements, everything that takes place, the injuries, they don't do that because they make it like we have a zero safety. Everybody's kumbaya, nobody's getting injured, but that's not the fact. There's a lot of injuries. It's a grueling job.
1: Absolutely.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that. And and we talked some about that with uh with Luis, but that was in particular to the Ultium plants. And you know, the Ultium plants are obviously, you know, the conditions are even worse there. Right. Uh, but the that doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory, like you said, at, at the Ford plants. And it's um, and it's important for people to understand that because, you know, one of the things that Sean Fain has really been hitting on that I've liked hearing him is talking about how, you know. People are, when they're, you know, working for these companies, they're selling their time. And, and, you know, y'all want some more of that time back to spend with your families and to do, you know, whatever the hell you want, right? Uh, and But also, in addition to that, you're selling your time and your life. You're selling your bodies, like the physical well-being of your bodies is one of the things that you're selling to these companies, um, like you said, and and many people end up kind of drawing the short straw and and getting injured and having surgeries and having life-altering surgeries, uh, you know, to make cars and make profits for these companies, and that absolutely has to be taken into consideration when people try to talk when people try to make it seem like y'all make too much money.
3: Yeah,
2: and another thing is that when you do get injured at Ford it, the amount of treatment you get from these supervisors just the shameful look that they give you and how they treat you you know they'll have you sit there like a dog until they call you or fetch you over to sweep the floor or do something for them it, it's the amount of disrespect that you put in 10 15 20 years and you get hurt because your back no longer take the, the amount of work that, that they're asking for on a daily and you decide to go on a, a status of light duty or even go out and you come back, the amount of disrespect that is looked at that, that person, it, it, it's just shameful. It, it is shameful that somebody puts that much time in. So I just wanted to, to really bring that out. There's the much more But I'm going to leave it there and you can get other callers because I waited a long time. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that my brothers and sisters want to get out there and put something out there also. So I'm going to let you go. I thank you for taking my call and thank you for listening to me. I just want to put that out there so people can actually see that this 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 is more than just money.
4: Absolutely. You're
2: absolutely right. I appreciate the call.
5: Yeah, I really do appreciate the call and uh, appreciate you lifting that up because you're right. Uh, safety is so important. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I think you're right, Jacob. You know, there, there should be a constant reflection on the fact that people are selling their physical well being and, uh, you know, really coming at a cost.
4: Yeah. We do have another caller on the line. That caller is uh, from a 304 area code. Caller from a 304 area code. Let's go ahead and bring them on the air. Uh, 304 area code. What is your name and where are you calling from?
7: Hey, Jacob. It's Jared from Local 27 IFPTE calling from Huntsville, but I retain my West Virginia phone number for good reason.
4: There you go. That's right. Jared, uh, IFPTE Local 27. Folks, Jared, like he said, he's from Huntsville. We know each other. Um, He's a good brother, uh, represents um, a member of the NASA Union here in Huntsville. That's something that a lot of people don't know. NASA is unionized, um, and, and this is one of the one of the rocket scientists making it happen. I appreciate you calling in and you having a West Virginia area code is not incidental to the reason for your call.
7: Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Um you know, we were having some back and forth earlier in the week and you did mention it uh earlier on the show today. Um you know, but I'm an alumnus of West Virginia University, West Virginia born and raised. Um graduated from West Virginia with degrees in engineering and Russian studies, uh, you know, about seven years ago now. And uh, just yesterday, the Board of Governors and especially University President Elwood E. Gordon Gee uh, decided to uh, fix a budget shortfall that they've caused by ending A very large portion of the liberal arts programs um including the entirety of the world languages department um in addition to something i forget the exact number but something like 150 faculty just
4: yesterday right yeah what Um, is the what is their reasoning for this why are they saying that this has to happen
7: uh, they're they're doing typical business doublespeak where they're citing efficiency gains and needs for uh, process improvement uh, and depending on which lie they've been called out on they shift their story. Um, they hired this consul, you know this consulting company RTK Group which is basically a McKinsey. Um, to hide behind when they're doing this, but even worse than that is, you know, Gordon Gee's got a history of this. He's done this at every university he's been at. Um, he's been at Ohio State, he's been at Brown, he's been at Vanderbilt, and he just never gets punished for this until it's bad enough they kick him out. But then, eight to ten months later, he's at he's a president in another university somehow.
4: Mm. And what um, and, and so you know the what is some of the pushback? You know he's he's saying basically that oh we got to do this corporate speak uh, we got to save money blah blah blah. How are people responding to that? What in what ways is it not true?
7: Well, for one, um, the programs that they're targeting are profitable. And then they're claiming that they're not profitable. And I'm using profitable just in, like, they bring in more money than they actually cost because a lot of these liberal arts programs are – they have very low operational overhead, right? You need some offices. uh, You need some standard lecture halls with blackboards, projectors, et cetera, and good libraries and internet. And these are the programs they're targeting. Another thing that they've done is they've targeted some of the programs that WVU is kind of unique in offering. Um, For those of you who have, for those in the audience who have children who like to watch Sesame Street and, you know, Jim Henson style, you know, puppetry programs, West Virginia is one of two, was one of two universities in the country that had a puppetry program, for example. They also have one of the best ceramics programs in the country, if not the best. Um, I'm, I'm scrolling through. I've got, I'll send this to you later. Uh, it's the write-up from the Daily Athenaeum, which is the student newspaper. Um, and, you know, it, it's a lot of, they're claiming they need to cut in order to be profitable, they're they're citing some programs just don't meet, don't serve state needs. Uh, there's someone, I've given them contact information, I'm hoping they'll reach out to you, her name is Maya Helm. She's got a tweet here, um, academic programs with this high number of students that receive tuition waivers, quote, do not serve state needs. And that's coming from somebody in the administration. And it's like, for those of you who don't know, West Virginia University West Virginia University is not the only university in West Virginia obviously uh, there's Marshall there's Concord there's Glenville State which recently became a university um, but West Virginia University is the university and cultural institution for the state West Virginia's population is only about two million people um, so, you know, they, you know, down here in Bama, we've got, you know, University of Alabama, but it doesn't have the same cultural cachet because it's, you know, there are other in, in large institutions that represent Alabama culturally uh, in the zeitgeist. And also WVU is the only place where a lot of engineering programs liberal arts programs, administrative programs, you know, like uh, public accounting or public administration. The, it's the main law school in the state. It's got one of the larger medical programs in the state, and it's also the cultural representation in any form of, like, sports, right? Um, you know, there it it's I'm still just processing it a lot. I apologize for rambling, but you know it's the institution for a lot of West Virginia.
4: Right. Well, I I appreciate you calling and, and kind of filling in some of the some of the blanks uh, for us there. I, I've been seeing a lot about it on Twitter, and I just haven't been able to uh, take the time to dig into it. But it seems like a, a very uh, I mean, totally unnecessary. Kind of attack on the public um, and on right. educators and uh, higher education, and mm-hmm. um, and so I, you know, uh, definitely, my thoughts are with everybody that that this is affecting uh, directly and indirectly.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll
7: keep Ford and contact information for some folks who might be able to do a better job describing the situation than I am. Thank you.
4: Thanks,
0: brother. Appreciate it.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not a coincidence that liberal arts was targeted. And, you know, no. that's a broader trend that we're seeing in higher education is that, uh, right. you know, it's it's less desirable to study history and literature. Um, you know, they're they're funneling folks away from that and uh, funneling folks away from critical thinking as well.
4: <laughs> right. So, uh, here's another story that has been in the news. If you want to call in, phone number's still open, 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. Actors and writers are on strike. Been on strike for a long time. Writers have been on strike for a much longer time than the actors. Um, the update on that story is that the writers are finally coming back to the table with the, or no, more accurately, I apologize for that wording, that's not how I meant it to come out, uh, the... Media companies are finally coming back to the table with the writers. The writers' have always been willing to negotiate. Uh, media companies have, uh, are the ones that have not been in good faith. Uh, but they're coming back to the table next week, and so hopefully we're getting closer to a resolution, hopefully. And yet there are some people that have not been willing to wait for a resolution and have uh, committed to uh, crossing the picket line. Do you remember E.T.? Yeah. Adam? Drew Barrymore?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I used to think fondly of Drew Barrymore Mm -hmm. just, you know, as a casual observer for movies and stuff. Seemed like a nice person.
4: Seemed like a nice person. I even thought highly of her as recently as a few months ago when she uh, did not attend some red carpet award show or whatever because that's what the writers and and the actors uh, requested people do in solidarity with the strike. And so that made it even more confusing when a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, she came out with this statement. Quote, I am making the choice... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, she has a talk show, apparently. A daytime talk show. I had no idea, but apparently she does. The Drew Barrymore Show. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, unlike some daytime talk shows, the Drew Barrymore Show is uh, unionized with the writers, the Writers Guild. Uh, it's a WGA show. And uh, so it has... it. The season ended... Before the strike began. And so it has not been on during the, the course of the strike. Um, and so she came out with this statement uh, a little while ago. "Quote: I am making the choice to come back for the first time in this strike for our show that may have my name on it. But this is bigger than just me. I own this choice. We are in compliance with not discussing or promoting film and television that is struck of any kind. We launched live in a global pandemic. Our show was built for sensitive times and has only functioned through what the real world is going through in real time. I want to be there to provide what writers do so well, which is a way to bring us together or help us make sense of the human experience. Very lofty goals for the Drew Barrymore Show. <laughs> I hope for a resolve for everyone as soon as possible. We have navigated difficult times since we first came on air, and so I take a step forward to start season four once again with an astute humility. So she is claiming that by not discussing Struck Works, she is abiding by the terms of the actors' strike. And she is claiming that no WGA-covered writing will be happening during the show. But that is just absurd to believe. If you believe that, you're a fool. And, you know, some people in the WGA have... And, and the WGA itself has taken to Twitter to say, like, that's not accurate. This is scamming. And some people, uh, some WGA members have taken to quit Twitter to say... She needs to have her cards revoked. She needs to have her membership. She she needs to be expelled from the unions. Because if I, and this was some random person on Twitter, right? Just some random WGA writer. She said, if I crossed the picket line and wrote for the Drew Barrymore show and did exactly what she's doing right now, I would be expelled from the union and I would never be able to write in Hollywood again. But she, because she's famous, I mean, maybe she will be expelled. Who knows? But... Nothing has happened this time. And so she shouldn't have special treatment because she's famous. And so we're going to see what happens there. But Drew Barrymore is now a scab. That's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Uh, She's not the only one, though. Bill Maher. We talked about Bill Maher last week. And so I guess he was kind of soft launching this scab arc that he's going through. Last uh, week when we played a clip of him talking about how some of the writer's demands are, quote, kooky uh demands like he said uh making a living that's what he said was kooky so here's what bill Maher said last week quote real time is coming back unfortunately now he could have just ended it right there and that's the whole that's all he needed but he would kept have been going. an
5: accurate sentence yes um i despised <laughs> his show i despise just his whole demeanor He is so uh, stuck up and snobby, Yeah, you know, and like that's the thing I can get along with pretty much every kind of person, you know, regardless of their beliefs or background, except for snobs. Uh, And, you know, if I don't know, he he just it really he rubs me the wrong way. And so, uh, yeah, there was no need to bring him back as far as I'm concerned.
4: Yeah. So real time. This is his quote from Twitter. Real time is coming back, unfortunately, sans riders or rioting. Okay, sure. It has been five months, and it is time to bring people back to work. The riders have important issues that I sympathize with and hope they are addressed to their satisfaction. But they are not the only people with issues, problems, or concerns. Despite some assistance from me, much of the staff is struggling mightily. We are... Uh, We all were hopeful this would come to an end after Labor Day, but that day has come and gone, and there still seems to be nothing happening. I love my writers. I am one of them, but I'm not prepared to lose an entire year and see so many below-the-line people suffer so much. Oh, yeah. Bill Maher. uh, Famous for his advocacy for below-the-line people. I will honor the spirit of the strike by not doing a monologue. Desk Peaks. Desk piece, new rules, or editorial, the written pieces that I am so proud of on real time. And I'll say it up front to the audience, the show I will be doing without my writers will not be as good as our normal show, Full Stop. But the heart of the show is an off the cuff panel discussion that aims to cut through the bullshit and predictable partisanship, and that will continue. The show will not disappoint. Um yeah, it will absolutely disappoint because it's a scab show. And Real Time consistently has uh, liberals and progressives and Democratic politicians. Bernie Sanders is even, you know, not an infrequent guest on the Bill Maher show. And uh, so, you know, we got to keep an eye out, uh, uh, you know, unions and and the Democrats, if they want to pretend to care about unions, they got to keep an eye out on who goes on this show uh, because you can't, you can't cross the picket line. I don't care how many people you think that you'll be able to reach by crossing the picket line and talking about your message. You can't do it. Can't scab. Not acceptable. So uh, that's where Bill Maher is. And as a result of this, you know, like Twitter sometimes does, uh, there was some old dirt that came out about Bill Maher that I felt like would be worth uh, checking out. And so this first one is more lighthearted. And the second clip is really kind of freaking weird. uh, Really pretty gross. But the first clip is just extremely funny because he, make, he, he is made to look like a fool by a uh, professional wrestler professional wrestler uh rowdy roddy piper
5: back in the oh 90s. oh oh goodness i have one of my favorites there you go one so, of my favorites from he, back in the day yeah
4: a- biggest anime crossover in history okay so let's take a look at uh rowdy roddy piper on bill maher's old show politically
8: incorrect they are in on the day's audience watches wrestling and they are in on the joke that's not an insult
9: so, what you're trying to say is what, I mean, people I are just that dying way. for this. I take
8: it as an insult. Too. I do too. I mean, but so... they're dying
9: to find out, hey, okay. wrestling's a right, you're telling me that you're is... really
8: hitting each other? No. Oh, you, the sound of the chair is real, okay? We are entertainment, but when a metal chair cracks your back, that's not fake. Yeah, you know, that can't somebody be a throws metal you from. It's yes, a metal chair. There's never a bruise on any of you.
6: Bologna, you got it in it? Look at this. No. Man
2: <laughs>
8: Broken wrist. See that wrist? Seven years it's been broken. Owen Hart, dead. Why don't you go tell Mrs. Hart what a joke it is, huh? Oh, it's just a phrase, right? You want me to be truthful with you? Huh, okay. champ? You know where, if I may say so, sir, the, the difference is. What? Just, just he, he's gonna okay. strike. Just, no. just don't show me your ass again. Uh, listen, I ain't f- backstage, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well you know, and I'm you not know, dropping my pants in front of other men, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, how'd you get the job? <laughs> <laughs> okay.
4: So uh there you go. Um Extremely funny, very gratifying clip to see a scab put in his place. Somebody in the chat says, I remember this. Do you remember this from Twitter last week, or do you remember this from the 90s?
5: Yeah, that was a little before my time. I vaguely, you know, when I was a child, vaguely remember Bill Maher being on TV, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, shout out Jacob Jones. I was so about to go there with They Live, uh, one of the most underrated movies ever made uh john carpenter great film uh has a really great uh political message to it actually Mm -hmm. um it's like you know on the surface it's kind of a cheesy almost b-level uh sci-fi movie in the 80s uh, but it's really a very sophisticated takedown of reaganism and um, also features Rowdy Piper kicking some ass for quite a few minutes at a time. Um, Hell yeah. uh, There's there's an extended fight sequence there that South Park later parodied. Uh, It's it's really, it's a great, great movie. They Live. So if you get nothing else out of today's episode, besides being fired up for the UAW strike and and expressing your solidarity for UAW, uh, you can also check out They Live.
4: Hell yeah. Uh, so like I said, this one though is like really, I mean, uh, Bill in this clip is defending rape. I mean, uh, just really kind of disgusting stuff. So let's, let's play this clip and you know, uh, scab rape defender, Bill Maher. Bill
8: well, magazine agrees with me cause they put her on the cover. Mary Kay Letourneau, the teacher from Seattle who, uh, is in jail because she is in love. That's how I view it. Uh, I admit, I admit that it's that it's unorthodox. She is thirty-five. The boy is fourteen. She, he was younger when they started, but the big story Has this he week. Have you
1: been bar mitzvah? Have
8: I? No, is he? Oh. Okay. um, (laughs) But she is pregnant again. That was the story this week. With the second child by this boy. So basically they're having a family and they're keeping the mother in jail because she won't conform to what society feels should be the perfect American family. Is is that
5: why they did it?
4: (laughs) That's why. They said, look, lady, you don't conform. So we're going to put you in jail. I mean, think about that. This is, he's talking about at this point 35 year old and a 14 year old and this is the second pregnancy so this so the first one had to have been when the boy was 12 right it takes time to get pregnant again i do i do again.
5: 12 seems to come to mind yeah it's been a while since i you know read anything about that case i don't that i don't was, know anything
4: about that okay, case okay it was a big deal
5: I, yeah when i was a kid um, you know I, I so i vaguely remember it just kind of growing up but uh Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that from Bill, though. Um. You know,
4: when so somebody on on Twitter, you know, they shared it on Twitter, and so they had, like, a little something about it. You know, here's Bill defending statutory rape. And so I was expecting it to be, you know, like, still statutory rape, but, you know, more in, like, a gray area, like a 22-year-old teacher and a 17-year-old student or something. Like, that still wouldn't be acceptable because of, like, the power dynamics and the teacher and the student relationship and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's like... I, you know, you
5: expected him to be. Right.
4: Yeah. I, I expected You know, like I understand what you're saying. That's what I was expecting. But that is, you know, talk a 33 year old and a 12 year old. Like that's rape. That's just that's just rape. That's not, you know, not conforming. That is sick. So there you go. Scab and rape defender Bill Maher.
5: But, um... He's really, he's said some very disgusting things on his show over the years. Mm-hmm. He's been on TV for a long time, and, you know, I get it. Uh, we're on the radio every week, and, and you say a lot of things, but I've right. never um, right. said hate speech against Muslims or condoned rape or any of the other disgusting things he's done. Yeah.
4: Really, really kind of wild stuff. But, you know, to, to wrap this segment up, I want to, you know... Uh, uh, we can kind of come back around to Drew Barrymore and, and you know, I'll, I'll give you some, some, some good news. Uh, she came out last week with an apology video for, um, for saying initially that she would come back. So let's play this first clip from her apology video.
9: And I just want everyone to know my intentions have never been in a place to upset or hurt anyone. It's not who I am. I've been through so many ups and downs in my life, and this is one of them. I deeply apologize to writers, I deeply apologize to unions, I deeply apologize.
4: So there we go, Adam. She is deeply apologetic, and uh, I could
5: get used to this, where people have to, uh, with teary eyes, apologize <laughs> to the unions. Yeah, uh, <laughs> apologize to the unions. More of this media, for and me, so,
4: um, so you know, presumably this means that she is not going to be coming back with her show. Um, and so let's let's play this clip from the same apology video where she deeply apologizes to unions, and she's crying because she's so sad to unions. And so here's the let's play this clip where she uh, uh, you know talks about the status of the show.
9: And I weighed the scales, and I thought if we could go on during a global pandemic and everything that the world has experienced through 2020. Why would this sideline us? So, I want to just put one foot in front of the other and make a show that's there for people, regardless of anything else that's happening in the world, because that's when I think we all need something that Wants to be
2: there. Hmm.
4: Adam, did did I miss here, or does it sound like she's still going to do her show?
5: Yeah, sounds sounds like it. Uh, hmm. Sounds like she's going to continue to do the thing that she apologized for. <laughs> um, and it's because her show is so vitally important right. to the American people. Yeah. Right. Um, I was not aware that we were all on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got such multiple layers of crisis in, impacting our society, right? We've got the existential threat of climate change, skyrocketing wealth and income inequality, uh, global tensions throughout the world, nuclear weapons, you know, viruses. We have all these issues and these these layers of crisis bearing down upon civilization, and and, and that's the thing why is, we need the
4: True Barrymore Show.
5: That's why <laughs> Drew Barrymore's show has to continue, right? Right. Um you know. Why would she let con- it
4: sideline us?
5: Consider the consider yeah. the times that we're right. in, these trying times that we're in. How how do we continue yeah. without Drew Barrymore on the air? Yeah. So um
4: So I mean, she's really making a sacrifice by
5: um you know, one could put it that way. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah that's true. So there you go.
5: Um, interesting. Okay.
4: Yeah. Um, so we're already past time, and I've got like three more (laughs) segments that I wanted to do. Adam, do you need to? What are are you are you good to go, or do you want to go ahead and? I
5: actually uh I do have work after this, um and so um you know I can't go too too long. Um I know we had some I think we had some requests for that that particular ceo
1: yeah
4: yeah
5: we had some some popular requests for that one so i think maybe we close out on on we'll close out
4: on that one as much as i ah man as much as i want to respond to youtube idiots being dumb on youtube i can't we're not gonna have time for that maybe next week but i will say that um I, one of them was live last night and you know, Adam, I just, I can't stand for people to be wrong on the internet and so I spend too much time correcting people who are wrong on the internet and so I called into her show (laughs) and uh, I don't think she, uh, I don't think she really learned a whole lot,
5: but. Well, that's unfortunate, you know.
4: But let's go ahead and play this. Um, So this CEO guy, this guy is at a property summit. (laughs) by the uh, put together by the financial review talking to a bunch of business owners and developers and freaks. And here's what he had to say about the current state of the world economy.
9: I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have, People decided they didn't really wanna work so much anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they they have been paid paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50%, in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, theres a there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And, And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely, Laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market and that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance
4: I mean, can you imagine the nerve of this guy like this guy makes his money because he has money He doesn't labor. He doesn't create. He doesn't work He has money so he makes money and so he sees people who want to lor- work a little less who want to make a little more, and he sees that as a threat to his bottom line, and he can't stand the idea that tradies... And I don't know if that's like a derogatory term in Australia. He's Australian. You know, I mean, IBEW members call themselves sparkies. So, but it sounds derogatory, calling them tradies. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But uh, the idea that the tradies... (laughs) Are too uppity, while people like him pull down millions of dollars from the economy every year for doing nothing, is sickening. It's absolutely sickening. And now, I don't know if if you'll if you know Adam, but this guy is the avocado toast guy.
5: As in, he started that whole
4: yes shtick. He is the guy who started the thing about, and he wrote an op-ed in 2017 that said, the title was, if a, if if millennials want to own a home, they should stop spending $20 on avocado toast. It started with, I just figured it was like something stupid. Like I figured, I didn't actually think that there was somebody sincerely making this argument at any point. I thought that, Talking about, oh, I, you know, if you want to own a home, stop buying avocado toast. I thought that that was just a satiric distillation of the hyper individualistic financial advice that is not <laughs> very applicable uh, and would not actually work, but that we get all the time in this guy. I didn't actually think that there was a guy that did that that started that. Right? I thought it was just a satiric kind of distillation of the, of the archetypal argument. But no, it was a thing that a, a person said who, again, pulls down millions of dollars every year and put pen to paper, fingers to buttons, and put out into the world and was willing to have his name attached to it. That's this guy. And now he's talking about how people need pain in the economy. I mean, when you're talking about people, a 40 to 50% increase in the unemployment rate he is literally calling for people to die.
5: Mass misery.
4: And yet if people come back and say things, if people were to come back and physically threaten him, not actually do anything yet. Although he is actually he is actually potentially even behind some doing of that. Some actually executing this misery upon people but if somebody else actually uh, just verbally threatened him with physical assault or something they would be sent to jail but this guy can just sit up on a stage and call for and probably be doing behind the scenes call for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people the misery of tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions more the destruction of the economy. And yet, he's not going to go to prison. He can just do that. Just call for violence to people, and it's normal. Again, this is the, the topsy-turvy world that we live under in a capitalist system where people at the top have total unilateral authority to do whatever they want, inflict however much violence and pain they want on normal and working people, and we have to sit by and take it because that's just how things are. And if you try to do anything about it, then you're a radical and you're a dissident and maybe you're even calling for violence and you need to be shut up and you need to be put in prison. insane really really insane stuff
5: it is but i honestly appreciate when folks in the ruling elite are honest and kind of just let the mask off and and keep it real for a moment um this is his marie antoinette moment and uh if there's any justice in this long march of history there'll come a day where Maybe his little picture will be next to Marie Antoinette's in a museum somewhere when we all look back on those wild times when we let an elite oligarchy control our world and our planet and our economy and our society. Um, So I'm just going to hold on to that hope.
0: Yeah.
4: He did apologize over the call for more unemployment to fix worker attitudes later, which this is almost even just grosser. Like, screw you. And no, take, take no. your lumps. Right, right.
5: No. Don't, don't apologize. You were being real. You were yeah. being honest about how you feel. Uh, what was it? I think it was Sam Sachs who said it was like he read Karl Marx and sympathized with the capitalist. Right.
4: I think that's another we, uh, Luis quoted Chomsky earlier in the program. And I think that that's another Chomsky quote is that, you know, the the elites are vulgar Marxist that just with the values reversed. Right.
5: right absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So,
4: yeah. So here's what he said. Um, Mr. Garner, this is from the BBC, said later that he, quote, deeply regrets the comments. Man, people are feeling a lot of deep regret (laughs) and apology uh, today. Um, He said, let's see... Later in a post on LinkedIn, he said that he had made, quote, he had, quote, made some remarks about unemployment and productivity in Australia that I deeply regret and were wrong. He said there were, quote, important conversations to have in this environment of high inflation pricing pressures on housing and rentals due to lack of supply and other cost of living issues. He said his comments were, quote, deeply insensitive to employees, to tradespeople and families across Australia who are affected by cost of living pressures and job losses. Mr. Gerner added that he appreciated that the loss of a job, quote, has a profound profound impact on workers, quote, and I sincerely regret that my words did not convey empathy for those in that situation. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's talking about arrogance, that that workers have arrogance because they're looking for a little bit more time or that they're Mm. looking for a little bit better pay or they're looking for better benefits because they want to go to the doctor or they want to retire with dignity. They want to be able to send their kids to college, that that's arrogant.
4: Right, that's
5: uh, that's really something, um, you know. And of course, there's going to be bootlickers out there who agree with that. Uh, people who are not on the top, but for various reasons, you know, sympathize with those who are. Um, and you know, that's always a frustrating thing. But um, yeah, when normal people lose their jobs, it's a very different experience than you know someone like him. You know, someone like him can fail upwards. right Uh, he could lose his job tomorrow and he's got enough money enough assets to where he's gonna be okay for the rest of his life yeah he's never gonna have to worry whether the lights are gonna be cut off whether he'll have groceries that weekend whether he can afford the medication that he's prescribed he'll never have to worry about that whereas 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck wealthiest country in the history of planet Earth, sixty percent of our people are paycheck to paycheck, uh, and living under that stress and living mm-hmm. under that anxiety, and so um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 re- very revealing, and I am glad when the ruling class folks uh, show us who they are and what they're really about.
4: Ezekiel in the chat uh, really summed up the last two apologies that we've written or that we've read. Uh, apologize for the words, but keep doing the deeds.
5: Indeed. Right, absolutely. I'm not
4: interested in apologies like that. All right, so that's going to be it for us today. Uh, Appreciate everybody's time. Uh, Like the stream and subscribe to the channel on your way out if you would. Uh, Donate to the show if you have the funds, tvlr.fm slash donate. Uh, We are a union radio program on multiple terrestrial radio stations across the South. It costs money to do that. We have to pay people to help support our production and all that kind of stuff. So like I said, it costs money and we couldn't do it without our uh, supporters. tvlr.fm slash donate for a one-time or regular monthly recurring donation. Uh, Also, our first ever live show is tomorrow, Sunday, September 17th at Shenanigans Comedy Theater off Lehman Ferry Road at 6 p.m. $20 $20 for general admission, 35 for VIP. That gets you in an hour early to talk to us and our guests. Going to be a lot of fun. Union-made beer. Uh, union member testimonies about beating the boss, talking to activists about their work in the community, games, um, stand-up sets. Going to be a good time, folks. Yeah, Come on some, out.
5: some of the coolest activists and organizers in North Alabama will be there, so you'll definitely want to join
4: tvlr.fm slash store to get your tickets um, before it's too late. I think that we're probably we're probably going to be able to sell out. So uh, if you want to get your ticket, then go ahead and, and, and get it today before it's too late. Um, with that, we're going to go ahead and roll out, unless you had any other plugs, Adam?
5: Uh, the only other plugs I wanted to mention is, of course, Labor Notes has some online training, so definitely check that out. The AFL-CIO actually has a training uh, later this month about basically how to organize a union uh one-on-one uh let me pull up the date for you uh september 27th at 6 p.m all right so that's the virtual training how to organize your workplace with afl-cio uh definitely wanted to mention that and um i'll be heading out to the uah human rights film festival after this and uh last plug is that on monday october 16th uh zen education project which i'm a big fan of is hosting a people's history of the black working class and you can uh tune in to hear historian blair lm kelly who (laughs) was a recent guest on our show really enjoyed our conversation with her and she's going to be doing a little history class for folks so uh sign up for that and um i guess the last thing is i will be on america's workforce radio next friday Hey, check that out
4: We love Flash. All right, folks. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in.